November 3rd, 2016. And on November 2nd, 2016, the Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. Joe Buck on the call, Fox Sports. Last night, Indians blow the 3-1 lead. And if that call doesn't give you chills or shivers or anything, then you must hate sports. Like This game wasn't even about sports. This was history in the making. That game, you could put that in a history textbook, and it would fit in right along with the timeline of the events that have happened in the last 50 years. Indians go up 3-1, to one, and the curse looks alive well. It looks like just another year of the Cubs not winning the World Series. Um, and the Cubs, as they go down 3-1, to one, they bring in a player, Kyle Schwarber. He hasn't played since April, and they decide to play him in Game 5 of the World Series. And with Kyle Schwarber in the Cubs lineup, the Cubs went 3-0, including a Game 7 win to win the World Series. And if that doesn't speak differences in how the team played or what they did to motivate each other, then I don't know what else it could have been. I really don't know. Let's go over some stats. Francisco Lindor, seven hits in the first four games and then proceeded to have a mere one hit in the last three games that they lost. Kyle Schwarber comes in game five, comes in as a DH, and he puts up a 364 average in postseason at-bats. That right there is called stepping up when the time comes. Araldis Chapman, Cubs closer, four times he went longer than one inning in the regular season. And we also saw what he can do. They worked him to the limit, came in game seven and gave up a couple runs, gave up the tying home run to Rajay Davis in the eighth. And that's when the Cubs probably... Started and the Cubs fans probably started to think, here we go again. He went four times longer than one inning in the regular season, and in the World Series, he went four times longer than one inning. There's only one player younger than Javier Baez to hit a home run in a Game 7 World Series, and that player is Mickey Mantle. So... Javier Baez, I mean, this guy really just came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. Postseason, and he's a good player. Regular season stats are not bad. Cubs get to the postseason, and this guy is the name that everyone all of a sudden has to know. He put up monster numbers in the NLDS and NLCS. Cooled off a bit in the World Series, but last night... Sparked the team, you could say. Had an error, had two errors, but still 
one of their best players this postseason. He really helped Cubs break that curse as well. There's been four players who have won back-to-back World Series championships after switching leagues. Ben Zobrist was a Kansas City Royal last season, and he becomes the fourth player to do that in history, to go from a team in one league, American League last year, winning the World Series, comes over to the Cubs National League, and he wins the World Series with them. Andrew Miller, relief pitcher for the Indians, Sets a couple records, postseason relief pitching records, most strikeouts in the postseason with 30. He went 10 straight games pitching more than one and one-third innings, and he went eight straight games pitching more than one and one-third shutout innings. Those are all records. And also, he pitches 19 and a third innings in the playoffs, and that is the most in MLB history for one reliever. The game started off with just a huge bang. Dexter Fowler, first at bat, nervousness all around the stadium, tension within the fans, tension within the teams, coaches, the owners, general managers, everyone just doesn't know how this game game is going to go. And Dexter Fowler gets up there, first at bat, home run. And when I saw that home run, I thought to myself, this game could be the one to break the curse. It could be finally. And after coming back from 3-1 to one and to hit a leadoff home run, how would you feel if you were an Indians fan or a player? I mean, that is the worst way to start a Game 7 World Series. It's the worst way. A leadoff home run. That's showing. That's the Cubs showing the Indians that they were there to play. And they did that for most of the game until the Cubs started using their bullpen. And that's when the Indians came back and said, we're ready to play with you guys. We're going to go run for run, hit for hit. And it took extra innings just to produce a winner, which is so fitting for this series. I mean, two of the best teams, I could say, in the past, past 10 years. Cubs obviously... Hitting wasn't there this World Series, but they still got it done in the last three games. Um, If they didn't win the World Series this year, I honestly don't know when they could have. This was their best team in a number of years. As we were preparing for the show on Tuesday, in the schedule was why the Cubs lost the World Series. So we were preparing for the Indians to win it being up 3-1, to one. and Cleveland should know more than anyone not to do that. Don't prepare to take the loss when you're down 3-1. to one. That's the reason that it goes seven games, because if you have three wins, you cannot let up. You cannot let off. Indians couldn't get it done. They couldn't win one out of the last three games, and so they now have the longest streak in baseball of not winning the World Series. Let's move to another topic. Ties in the NFL. I really want some feedback on this. I want the viewers, the listeners, to have an opinion on this. And ties in the NFL are a confusing topic for most people. It's a debateful topic. It can cause controversy 
You know, most people don't think there should be ties. I don't think there should be ties. Max doesn't think there should be ties. But they still have ties in the NFL probably because it hasn't been that much of a problem. But this year, there has been two ties and almost a third. The third game with the Raiders winning by a touchdown. And they scored it within the last two minutes of overtime. So they saved saved another tie from happening. That would have been three in the matter of two weeks. And there's still been two this year, which is very rare. Um, there used to be a lot of ties in the NFL back in the 50s and 60s. But I really think they need to change the rules to the college rules. I think an NFL team deserves to either win or lose based off of their talent. I don't think a tie is right for these players that are getting paid millions and millions of dollars to win the game. You're either going to win or you're going to lose. A tie shows up on your record and it could affect, you know, wild card standings, home field advantage in the playoffs. It could affect all that and I don't think that's right. I think if they went to college rules and produced a winner no matter what, even if, you know, the college rules starting on the 25 is like too easy or gives a team an advantage and a disadvantage. I don't see it that way. I've seen teams in college, you know, upset a ranked team by going into overtime and playing defense first and stopping them and then going back and scoring a touchdown. And I don't think the coin toss should decide who the winner of the game is if it comes down to overtime. If you get the ball first in the NFL and you score a touchdown, great, you scored a touchdown, that really doesn't give the other team an opportunity to show they're better. If the whole game was tied through four quarters, that shows that it's a really even game. It should not be the next person to score a touchdown. It should be if you score a touchdown, the other team gets a chance. And that's how college works. That's how it is in college. So ties in the NFL, I think Roger Goodell should change the rule on it. Um... Redskins tie the Bengals 27-27 to in London. It was the game in London. That's kind of fitting because, you know, European soccer, they're used to ties over there. Okay, I want to start up another topic here. NCAA football top 25 playoff poll came out this week. And Alabama... Of course, number one. That's a given. They're the best team in college football right now. I don't think they'll be stopped. I think they'll go 12-0. and I think they'll win the SEC championship. And obviously they'll go to the playoff. Um, but it's the teams after that that has a lot of fans confused. A lot of fans. Um... I think every team in the top 10 at this point has a chance of going to the playoff, maybe even the top 15. I think, you know, anyone out of those teams could sneak in somehow if they win out and everyone above them, you know, just falls apart maybe or whatever happens. It's college football. It's crazy. But the one spot I don't agree with, and this may be biased because, of course, I've grown up in the area lived in the area my whole life, been a fan my whole life. But it's my podcast, so what what am I going to do? What are you guys going to do about it? Okay, the number four spot goes to Texas A&M at 7-1. and one. 
over University of Washington. Number five, eight and zero. University of Washington's number four in the AP poll, number four in the coaches poll, and then as soon as the playoff poll came out, the playoff voters put them at number five. Our key wins are home against Stanford and at Utah this last week with the help of Dante Pettis getting a punt return touchdown to win that game. Texas A&M's key wins are at Auburn and home versus Tennessee. I could say that those are better wins, but it's the fact that Texas A&M has lost a game. I mean, yes, it was to Alabama, but University of Washington has been in the same spot. They have been in a spot where they could have lost the game, but they won. I know the strength of schedule is completely easier for the Huskies this year, and Texas A&M, their out-of-conference schedule, had UCLA in it. And that's showing these playoff voters, look, we're better because we're playing tougher out-of-conference schedule opponents. Whereas University of Washington played Idaho, Portland State, and Rutgers University and completely demolished them. But that's a given. When you have a good team and you want to build the program, you have to take a couple games at the beginning of the year to not play harder programs. You want to you know, build up your team heading into the conference games. And Texas A&M, I mean, they have to be surprised that they're in the top four. They have to be. They weren't in the top four in the AP or in the coaches' poll. Uh, they have a chance to gain possibly another spot even if they win out. Um, if they lose, I don't think they'll go to the playoff. If they lose another game and get two losses, I don't think they'll go to the playoff. I think University of Washington will win the rest of their games, and at that point, there will be no debate. I think University of Washington will move up. But as of right now, I do not see how you possibly put Texas A&M at four. If the season ended today, they would play Alabama in the semifinal game. That sounds a little biased towards the SEC, in my mind. SEC is... You could probably say the most popular conference in college football, ratings-wise, TV-wise, radio. People want to listen to SEC football, especially down south. Those people only listen to college football in the SEC. That is what everything is about down there. But in the other parts of the United States even, people listen to the SEC and watch the SEC games because they have... You could say the best teams, especially this year. I could agree with that. Pac-12 has done absolutely nothing. You have University of Washington, the powerhouse in the Pac-12. You have University of Colorado, who is a surprisingly good team. They're at 15 in the playoff poll. And you have Washington State at 25 now, who started off really bad. couple bad losses. A loss to Boise State, which is not that bad of a loss. Uh, Boise State's better than Wazoo, I'd say. But those three teams are the only good teams in the Pac-12. I mean, Stanford, Oregon, what happened to these powerhouses? UCLA, USC, 
these programs are all rebuilding while the SEC has teams that are just completely like their only goal is to make the playoff in the SEC. Every team. Every team. Not every team. Some teams are rebuilding. Most teams in the SEC, their goal is to make the playoff. Teams in the Pac-12 right now, their goal is to rebuild so that they can have a chance of going to the playoff. University of Washington is in the process of rebuilding. Coach Chris Peterson comes in up to, into a program that isn't disciplined, you could say, under Steve Sarkeesian. We weren't a disciplined team. So we are trying to rebuild not only our players, but the way they play. And that is why we had three easy opponents to start the year. We wanted to find our, our identity before facing the true tests, such as Stanford and Oregon. This doesn't mean that you should rank us lower and rank A&M above us. I don't think. I don't think that's really should be that big of a deciding factor. Um, we just need to keep doing what we're doing. I mean, we have to play Washington State at the end of the year. And if we win that Pac-12 title game going into it undefeated, I think the playoff comes down to that. Um, our margin for error is undeniably slim. We just need to keep it simple. Wait for a team above us to lose. I mean, Michigan could lose to Ohio State at the end of the year. That bumps up bumps us up a spot. Clemson could lose. You never know when Clemson could lose. They look like a very good team, but they're in the conference where you just don't know sometimes. ACC can be confusing. Clemson could lose a game. They have to play Syracuse at home, Pittsburgh at home, at Wake Forest, and home against South Carolina. The only game I could see them losing is that home game against South Carolina, which is probably not going to happen because it's a home game, and that atmosphere is absolutely crazy. But they do still have to play the ACC championship game, and I can see them losing that because the ACC championship game will always produce two great teams no matter what. Just like the Pac-12 and the SEC. It's the Power 5 conferences. And I think that they're taking these Power 5 conferences and not giving each conference enough credit or liability. I think they're taking the SEC and they're making them the top conference no matter what. If you are a one-loss team in the SEC, you are better than an undefeated Pac-12 team. And I don't think that's right. Okay, we're going to move on to the last segment of this week's podcast, Thursday special edition of Primetime Tuesday. And I just had a couple questions. You guys can leave comments or feedback, however you want to do it. Voice your opinion. I want to hear what you guys have to think. A couple questions. One is, who will win the NBA MVP? Two is, who can beat... Alabama in college football and three what are your thoughts on Jose Fernandez if you guys have any answers to those I'd like to hear them and I'd also like to take a second to voice my opinion uh, without going too much into detail I want to keep it short and sweet NBA MVP 
I think this year is going to be Russell Westbrook. With the absence of Kevin Durant, I think the spotlight's on him. He knows it. He's performing like it already. He's averaging a triple-double. He won't at the end of the year. It'll be close for the first time in his career because he's not there to pass it to Kevin Durant half the time now. He's there to shoot the ball. He is there to shoot. Yes, he can still get assists. The Thunder still have a good team. They're not a powerhouse without Kevin Durant anymore. And I think Russell Westbrook's going to step up, take them to the playoffs, obviously. He'll take them back to the playoffs. He could do that himself. And I think because of his performance by himself, without any you know, other great players on the team now, that is the true definition of a most valuable player, MVP. He is the most valuable player to his team. He is the reason the Thunder are still good. Without him and Kevin Durant, Thunder might not even make the playoffs. So he's my MVP in the NBA. Who can beat Alabama in college football? Max says no one. I say Michigan can beat Alabama. And I think University of Washington has a chance against Alabama. I couldn't tell you if they would win or lose, but I think that University of Washington would have a chance. Clemson, I think Clemson would lose to Alabama for sure. I think Texas A&M, if they had a rematch with Alabama, they would lose it again, I believe, and I don't think any other team in the country. Michigan can beat Alabama. University of Washington can beat Alabama on a certain you know, level of intensity, maybe no injuries, um, neutral field. I think those two teams have a chance and my thoughts on Jose Fernandez for the last part of this is going to be um, I really don't think his his credibility or you know the way he played baseball he really enjoyed himself out there he was the, one of the nicest players in baseball his teammates obviously care for him they were all very saddened by this and I don't think because he had stuff in his system I think that's a poor decision but I also don't think that should be, you know, a tattering decision of like, oh no, um, his legacy's gone now because he had that stuff in his system. I don't think it should be that way. I think he should be remembered for how he played on the field, how he treated others, and I don't think he should be remembered as, you know, oh, he got in a boat accident and died. We all miss him. A week later, they found out. Two weeks later, they found out that drugs, alcohol in his system during the crash, I don't think that should tarnish his legacy at all. I think we still need to remember Jose Fernandez for who he was as a baseball player, as a person. That's my final thoughts. Thank you for tuning in. To Primetime Tuesday on a Thursday special edition. It's November 3rd, 2016. Catch you guys next week. Thank you.